You are listening to a Natural Products Insider podcast. With Sandy Almendares, Editor-in-Chief. Brought to you by Supply Side West, November 6 through 10 in Las Vegas. Hi, and welcome to a Supply Side West edition of the Healthy Insider Podcast. I'm Sandy, and today we are going to be talking about developing a corporate vision statement and a mission and how to bake that into your company so your employees really buy into it and exhibit these values that your company has. And uh, I have the perfect person on the phone here today to discuss this, Karen Howard. She is CEO and Executive Director of the Organic and Natural Health Association. She spent more than 30 years working with Congress and state legislatures. She's also worked at healthcare organizations to develop innovative healthcare policies and programs. She has held a variety of executive positions. She was the uh, previous president of the National Animal Supplement Council. She was the executive director of both the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians and the Association of Accredited Naturopathic Medical School. So she has quite a lot of experience leading organizations that really do need to have employee buy-in. She will be furthering this discussion at the Supply Side West workshop, Boosting Your ROI, Secrets to Business Success. That's on Thursday, November 8th at 9 to 11 a.m. Hi, Karen. Welcome. Oh, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Let's get started. What is a corporate vision and why do they matter to health and nutrition brands? It's a really great question. When you when you think about a vision statement, a lot of there's generally speaking some confusion around what vision and mission is. So you want to think about your vision statement as the the end all, the holy grail, world peace, babies, lots of puppies running around happy. Um, and it's it 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 can seem if you aren't familiar with the process of getting to a vision statement, um, it can seem a bit ethereal and not particularly relevant to your bottom line but let's work backwards for a second. When you think about what your obligations are every day to your workforce, um, to your public, to your consumers, to your customers, you can get really bogged down in just the work itself. Um, Typically speaking, at the end of this planning process, you would have a really great work plan. You would have all of the things you need to know need to be done by quarter, who those people are that need to do them, You would need to know why you have established that level of task and accountability in terms of being able to establish measures that can do that. And and also, to what end are you doing it? So you may have a production um, requirement that is driven by, of course, customer demand, but you may also have infrastructure issues to be able to accommodate increased growth. So you're making those decisions on a daily basis. Everybody does them all the time. What sometimes can happen is you can lose your way uh, in the world of, you know, demands and deadlines, technology, communication, in terms of at the end of the day, what is it I'm actually trying to accomplish? So the mission and vision statements really can clarify that for you and bring you back and hone your objectives, your work plans, the way you measure your progress so that you are actually working towards an end goal. And I like to say in the nonprofit world, we should all be working ourselves out of jobs because our mission and vision statements, our mission to get to that vision is always, you know, eliminate world hunger, 
um, make sure there's a healthy planet with healthy people. And wouldn't that be great at the end of the day if we eradicated cancer? So those are goals that you can actually, you know, you can achieve and move on to the next project, not so much in the corporate environment. Right, absolutely. And so I imagine these corporate missions and vision statements are created by, you know, the C-suite. So how do they get potential employees when, you know, the HR director or line managers are hiring people so, so that they have the ability to really exhibit the values of the company? Now, this is something that I find just so intriguing. I mean, HR, especially companies that have large HR departments, are, they have a way of being in the world. And a lot of that is driven by rules, regulations, and laws. All that said, at the end of the day, I can't tell you how many job descriptions I read that never reference the mission and vision of the organization itself. So is it a surprise when you have a cacophony of people who are working for you that may have completely varied interpretations of what the company's objectives are when they're hired? Um, there are, of course, a ton of things that you cannot ask when you are engaging people in conversation around a prospective job. But there are lots of ways to get to what motivates people. And I, we talk a lot about millennials. We talk a lot about how millennials want to have value in their jobs. We make them sound as though they are some unique creature in the world. But I think if you got to the root of the matter, most people do want to know that they go to work and that their contributions at the workplace are actually making their world and the world around them a better place. So I always had a few tricks um, that I would recommend to people, including things like ask people how they start their days. Um, we are in the nutrition and health arena. So we have a different perspective on why we do what we do ostensibly. And it's intriguing to me if you can be really curious in a job interview and ask people questions about how they live their lives, you'll begin to understand uh, if there is a commitment to what it is you are trying to put out in the workforce. So I used to also, so when I would ask them how they start their days, how they end their days, um, it's not a judgmental question. You know, people need to be curious. Some people are interested in what you're doing and want to explore new ways of being. So there's a lot of different ways to interpret the information you're getting back without just assuming that because people read four books a week, they're not gonna be out exercising and, and meeting your health objectives. So you do have to be open-minded about it. And then I like, to, I like to tell people when I was working with the naturopaths that we were in a trans fat free zone and watch for their reaction. <laughs> what kind of reaction would that signify? Well, so in some cases, people didn't know what I was talking about. So that was always an eye opener. Um, and then if I got the opportunity to explain that, I'd move on to the next step. Well, that means that you, if you want to eat fast food, you, of course, you know, you're more than welcome to do that. It's just not allowed in the office. And that then would generate a different kind of response. So it's a level of awareness about why they're interviewing for the position they're interviewing. It gives you an indicator of whether they've done their homework. Um, it gives you a little bit of feeling for uh, what it is that they're looking for in life, potentially, if they, um, if they like to eat fast food three times a day. That's one way of doing the world. There are many other ways to do it. But I thought it was just a really interesting indicator and a great conversation to have with people in terms of being able to help them understand what, especially as a nonprofit, we were always interested in doing.
I think the other thing that's really important, though, in, in all seriousness, because that is, you know, sort of a fun way to do things. There are a lot of people in the workforce in these bigger organizations in our world who have jobs that aren't definitely, you know, they're not frontline. So they may not be marketing. They may not be dealing with the public. They may be your IT teams. They may be your transportation or your production teams. And it's equally important to have them understand what your mission and vision is because their work is as important, in some cases more important than what's being done on that, you know, more high level, high visible job. And to not be able to include them across cultural conversations about mission and vision and not have them be a part of what the larger understanding is can really be a detriment and actually result in a logger jam in terms of what it is you're trying to, to commit to and to get done. Right, yeah, I think those, those questions and interviews are fabulous and I'm going to incorporate them in my next hire for sure. <laughs> um, but let's talk about those current employees, right, the IT person all the way down to the, you know, the outward facing marketer or, you know, a PR for person. Um, how, how can you keep the workforce engaged so that every employee truly feels like what he or she does makes a difference and is really committed to that corporate vision and statement? So I think there's two ways to look at that. So let's start with a more top-down, more, you know, probably familiar way of, of talking about what this planning process looks like. There are a lot of companies that I work with that um, haven't gone through the planning process and don't have this articulated down to a mission, a vision, a work plan with ways to measure outcome, et cetera, et cetera. But almost everybody has a work plan. So because this is C-suite driven and, and because it's generally board work, oftentimes what will happen is that at the beginning of the year or towards the last quarter of the year, there's a process, a planning process there's input from the workforce, most likely, um, but the, the actual product of what is being done for the next year or preferably two years in this planning process is handed back down to people and, and with a, okay, here is your plan. Um, my recommendation is to, when you get to that level, and there is definitely work that should be board-driven, but the mission and vision should not change often enough for that to be an issue. Um, the way you measure it, has an impact on how people do their jobs and whether you're being, you're the measurement of your effectiveness. But certainly the work plan is something that everybody is, that is their life. You know, that is what they deal with every day. So my recommendation is to take a section of your planning process and before you actually develop the work plan to sit down with the people who are responsible for the work and to have a couple of days dedicated to putting everyone in a room together in a sensible manner. And that would mean that you would have IT in the room with a marketing person. You would be able to like talk about the objectives for the next year or two and the process for getting there so that you could have an open dialogue about what the obstacles and the opportunities are. And then that information should be taken by one of the management team who should be there in a listening mode and bring that back um, so that the architecture of the work plan can, can have that employee feedback. That's a really valuable exercise. But it's just as good as the days that you are doing it. In order to really embody what it is that you believe and want from your organization on a daily basis, there are a few things that you can do that are really effective. One of them is to participate actively in acknowledgement. Um, I dare say, if you, if you were in a room of 100 people and you asked people to raise their hands if they got enough acknowledgement, no one would actually do that. 
there's just not enough acknowledgement in the world. So there are lots of ways you can do that. And I think people are getting better. I think our industry has been a little better about it all along in terms of recognizing employee contributions. And you can get pretty creative about that. So that's important and it needs to be consistent, it needs to be transparent, and it needs to be incredibly genuine um, so that people actually do value that recognition. So that's great. I consider that to be somewhat easy to do. I think there are other things that make world, the world of work a lot more challenging. When we send our kids to school, we know we're giving away the best hours of their day. And at the same time, we're all going to work and we're giving our work the best hours of our day. So there are a couple of things that leadership can do that will make a huge difference. One is um, to really reflect on the work site the vision and mission through your own mood. So you can walk into the office having been cut off in traffic, being late, somebody, you know, the tire, whatever, anything could have happened. And you can walk in and that, you're not going to be reflecting the, reflecting the vision of that office whatsoever. You're going to be reflecting your mood. And if you've ever been around somebody in a bad mood, you know it's infectious. So to design and, and, and integrate your vision through that kind of attitude adjustment on a consistent basis can do more for your morale in the workplace than you could ever imagine. And it isn't like hanging up the posters that are inspirational and motivational or worse, you know, hang in there, baby. It's a, it's a genuine way of putting um, your end objectives into the world and then reminding yourself every day, 700 times a day, that you have a mood that you've designed for that day and you wanna stay in it. So that's, that's, a, that's a practice that takes work. It means that every day before you hit the ground, you put your feet on the ground, you're gonna set a mood and you're gonna stick with it. So that's one. I think the second one though is even more important, which is there are so many demands on people's time. Um, and that work plan is a pretty robust document. So any one person at any point in the day could have four things due at four different times or 10 things due at three times. So where we really get lost in the workplace, I think, is that we, we set an unrealistic expectation for people and we don't clearly articulate what it is we want them to do. So we don't actually make a request. Everything sounds like a demand. This needs to be done by this time. And the conditions of what we th I think is really meant to be a request um, are often left on the table and not attended to. So you may have a young person in a junior position who has now six senior executives with all this work on their desk and they're doing their best to balance it, that because this particular person hasn't had the ability or given the tool to negotiate his or her obligations with her leadership, um, then you find conflict. So when I say to my child, homework will be done tonight by nine o'clock, there's really no room for negotiation in that. That is a demand. When I say to my employee, this report will be done by nine o'clock tomorrow morning, that's a demand. If, I, if that employee has 10 demands, I'm in trouble because I haven't set the conditions for success and I haven't let that person engage me in a negotiation and say, I have five other things that I need done by this time, this time, and this time. So this is one of the things that I wanna talk about at our panel discussion in terms of how do you recreate an effective environment so, and give people the language to be able to make an effective request, negotiate 
the terms of how to successfully meet that request. And when it doesn't work well, don't go into this huge upset, but just renegotiate the request again. I think that is so so interesting, and I, th I think it's these these small things that that managers can do really. That I mean, it, no matter what your your vision statement is at a company, that you know, just taking the time to value your employees' time and uh, how you ref you reflect yourself on them. Um, I think that's really important uh, point. But is it actually really that important to get every single employee rooting for the company cause like is there a good percentage to shoot for you know maybe the janitor doesn't uh, doesn't buy into it or something and that's fine sure i mean you know you're never going to get 100% hardly in hardly anything that i can think of i mean but you do i mean this is the this is one of the other interesting things i mean i think we think we think about this mission and vision and we think about um, the people or the company or the contract that we're serving. And typically I would say, go back to the very end user, you'll serve yourself much better in that effort. And we often overlook the fact that your employees should be your customers as well, especially in our world. So I don't know if people are actually paying attention to whether the health and welfare of their own um, employees is equal to that of the population they are serving. So. Is there anything being done there? I mean, are you, are you availing your employees of the products that you produce, make, support? Are you, are you offering them the same level of education on what you're doing that you're giving the world? Because sometimes I think we overlook that. And then, yeah, the janitor may not know why the janitor needs to be taking product X, Y, or Z, because that may not be institutionalized throughout the, the environment. So it's, like a, it's a little like cheerleading and that it becomes a little um, contagious. You know, people, once they get motivated, they start seeing results in their own in their families' lives. I mean, these are the things, they take their work home. We talk about that a lot, right? People take their work home. Well, then let's make sure they take some of the healthy attributes of work home, whether that's your product or your service. And then you'll see over time that you're building a happier workforce, a healthier workforce, I mean, I, I often wonder if people are getting, you know, product for free. Why wouldn't you do that? So I think the more you do that, the more you embed culturally, and this is the thing I always loved about building a workforce was to be able to build a culture around that. And the more likely you are to have the people who are most reticent to want to jump on the bandwagon and be a part of your team. If you can't sell your own employees, how are you ever going to sell your customers? That's so true, and I think it's so great for this particular industry because we all make healthy products, you know, so that it's something that you can really easily translate and like let them let your employees become your consumers, and so they can really become brand advocates in that in that manner. I, I want to wrap up asking if you have any anecdotes about a company whose workforce exhibited company values, and then what benefits did that company experience from that avid workforce? Yeah, I've given this a little bit of thought. I, I have I have several, but one that tickles me because they're and that in disclosure, they are a member is Jigsaw Health. So um, Jigsaw Health's main product is magnesium. And they are one of these smaller companies that hasn't necessarily gone through this big elaborate process some of us do with mission, vision, and statements, et cetera. But they do have their tagline, which serves as their guiding principle, and it's it's fun to feel good. And underneath that, they have belief statements that are things like, we believe in out-hugging our competition. 
We believe you can feel better. We believe laughter is the best medicine. Magnesium is a close second. Um, now, the way this exhibits itself throughout this, and it's for the public to see, is that every Friday there's a Funny Friday video. And the employees of this organization put this video on together. And it's all about the product and it's all about having fun with it. Um, they all take the product, they all have access to the product. And it's one of the best, kind of most simple and pure examples of the complexity that I could talk about for a long time that I've ever seen. And the other one that I, uh, and that I admire and respect a great deal is Megafoods. And they are not a member of ours, but um, Megafoods, vision is a world where everyone is truly nourished and what that's enabled them to do is not only you know open up their doors to the public but it's really expanded their view of what their world is so you see them engaged in initiatives that would seem somewhat two steps away from core messaging or core activity and those include things like regenerative agriculture and testing for um, glyphosate in, the, in their supply chain so the more you can get ownership and engagement in your organization around these elements, the more successful you're going to be at finding your way into your vision statement and your final outcomes. That's the way I feel about it. I love those examples. I love those little taglines from Jigsaw. Those are fabulous. They're fabulous. Uh, well, it's a fabulous company. Well, thank you so much, Karen, for joining me today on this podcast. Uh, I look forward to hearing more of your insight at the Supply Side West workshop, boosting your ROI, Secrets to Business Success. Again, that's on Thursday, November 8th in Las Vegas at our Supply Side West show. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. To join the conversation about the supplement industry, leave a comment on the podcast's Twitter, Facebook, or SoundCloud accounts. This episode has been brought to you by Supply Side West, November 6th through 10 in Las Vegas.